You're listening to Michelle Redfern and Mel Butcher on Lead to Soar, bringing you the best leadership advice and mentorship from around the world. Learn more at leadtosoar.com. The career Q&A we're sharing today features Emily McKee. Emily has coached sports for 10 years using an exploratory facilitation and athlete-centered coaching style, and she's currently working with the U18 female program at Dandenong Stingrays as a development coach in the semi-elite pathway. Emily created and managed what is now one of the biggest female junior football leagues in Victoria, Australia, the Eastern Region Girls Football League. She has used sport to go around the world either playing, coaching, or running Auskick clinics in France, Sweden, Amsterdam, and beyond. Welcome, Emily McKee, to Lead to Soar. Welcome to this month, November 2020, if you're listening later or watching later. So welcome to this month's career Q&A, a special episode or a special forum that we have every month for our Emerging Leaders community. And it's a forum where We want women like my guest today, Emily, uh, to share their wisdom around their their own career journey and what's next, the the wisdom that they've gained, the wisdom they've got to share. And it's a session that's unashamedly focused on leadership. And as many of you have heard both Susan and I say, and now Mel, Leadership is using the greatness in you to achieve and sustain extraordinary outcomes by engaging the greatness in others. And added on to that, you will have also heard us say that career advice and getting the right career advice is so important. And we want women to get that right career advice and we want you to not discard or ignore conventional career advice, but we want you to think about the career advice you really need. So without further ado, I, I, it's my great pleasure to introduce Emily McKee to you today. I'm not going to uh, read Emily's bio because we're going to share that in the, in the recording, but I'm going to tell a story about how I met Emily. I was sitting in my office a couple of years ago and I got an email from this person who said, hi, uh, my name's Emily. This is what I do. I've seen what you're doing. I'd really like to meet you and uh, get your advice. And here's why. Boom, 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 boom. And listed the reasons why. And I went, that's pretty awesome. Uh, Here's someone who's pretty awesome herself and what she's done. And she's going to talk about that in a moment. And she's been very, very clear about why she wants to meet with me and what she wants to get from me. And I immediately was able to then dovetail that into what I could get from her. So there was a lovely, generous reciprocal arrangement before we'd even met for the first time. When I met Emily face-to-face for the first time after she'd returned to Australia from a stint in Germany, I was blown away by uh, her enthusiasm, her passion for what she does, and the fact that she is so absolutely clinical and disciplined about the things that she does. 
So it's my great pleasure to introduce Emily to you. Hi, Emily. And I'd love you to introduce you to our watchers and listeners in your own words. Oh, that was a really nice, uh, nice introduction. I just feel so loved, really. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you so much. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So, yeah, I'm Emily. I sometimes find it really hard to describe who I am and what I do, but I think the crux of it all is I'm a coach, so I'm a teacher. I really enjoy you know, it's very, it's very easy to, to oh, these terms get thrown around so much, but I really enjoy providing space for people to grow and for people to just think back and, and be really critical and analytical about what they're doing and where they're going, whether it's their, their career, their lives in general, whether it's on the football field, which is uh, mostly my coaching background. That's just my biggest passion in life is just creating that pathway for people to succeed and and helping them unblock the or create those steps, next steps moving forward. And uh, I think that comes from, I think, the way that I live my life in, in all the cool things that, we're, that I've done, which I think Michelle's pretty keen to dissect it if we can. So um, hopefully that'll all unravel and you'll sort of see what I mean by creating those little steps or moving forward and being really strategic. So yeah, that's me in a real quick nutshell. Awesome. So um, I'm going to to kick off, and yes, we will unpick your history, your career history. Now, there might be, particularly for those of you who are watching this session, some of you might have observed that Emily's a bit younger than me. So, and when I say I learn from Emily every single time I'm with her, you might be going, hmm, isn't that a bit of a role reversal? And if you're thinking that, that is, you are absolutely spot on because I do consider um, Emily as someone that I am mentoring and sponsoring. And we can talk about sponsorship later, but I also consider in as part of this, this relationship that we have that I am the beneficiary of her wisdom as well. You might want to put a label on it, reverse mentoring, reciprocity, whatever it may be. But Emily is someone that I learn from every single time. And despite the fact that she's been on the earth a little bit less longer, less longer, um, not as long as me. In fact, I did work out she's the same age as my daughter. So I am old enough to be Emily's mother. I learn from her every day. And one of the things I want to learn from you now, Emily, is about your career and the advice that you've received and taken. So what's the the best career advice that you've ever received and why? Well, when you just gave me this question, I had had to ponder it a little bit because when I first think of that, um, I actually don't think I've been given that good of career advice. So there is a little bit that I will give at the end, but going into it, it's, I think a lot of people have projections of what they think is the best thing for me to do. They see the potential, the enthusiasm, the love for life, the love for, you know, changing the world to a degree. They see that and they're like, you should do this and you should do that. And, you know, here's here's all of these things available for you. And I have or I, I take on a lot of feedback from a lot of people. And, yeah, I found that a lot of it is is a can be projections of what's safe and my answer to what is the best career advice is I got told to find your why find 
why you want to do things. Find what you're passionate about and not just about just, you know, do what makes you feel good. It's like generally what sets your soul on fire. Like what do you care about? Because once you have the why of what you're doing and you can understand, you know, why you're going to travel to the other side of the world to coach a football team, which is what I did, you then have more conviction and people will then believe in you and people will support you and you'll be surrounded by people that are in the same space as you and that is the most rewarding thing and and life works out when you know why so that's my career advice is find out why you're doing things and if you don't know why is that the right thing you know or is there something setting you back you know you're doing it because you think you're going to just be financially free or you know you're safe because you can pay off your mortgage I've cultivated my life in a way where, where I sort of you know I've got my house and, and everything but there's there's a way that I, I've done it to be set up to actually still achieve the things that I want to achieve and not be fi- under the financial stress that others can be under so yeah hope that sums up why mm. yeah the starting with why yeah, Simon Sinek's made an awful lot of money about that that very very good advice and so I, I think that that is terrific and one of the things that you said there is that I've cultivated my life. And so you've been very, very strategic and deliberate and intentional about the moves that you've made. Now, those moves, I'd like you to reflect on them for our watchers slash listeners about those moves from starting, establishing the football, uh, women's football that you did here in Australia and the work that you did there and and the decision that you then made to go overseas. So those things you've done, you've been very intentional. Nothing's been by accident. It's been very intentional. And I suppose, and you used the S word at the start, which I, of course, delighted me, which is you've been very strategic. You know what your why is and you set a strategy and you've, you've moved through that strategy. So take us back to when well, I suppose when you got that advice, but also that the start of this career, this career path that you've started on. Yeah, totally. So for huge context, I'm from Melbourne, which is in Victoria and Australia. And we have this really funny game that all, as I'd say all, a lot of um, Victorians and Melburnians love. And everyone in the other states of Australia don't understand why because they don't get the game and people in America especially are like, what is this crazy sport? And it's called Australian rules football. Now that is the game that I grew up absolutely loving. Like that was just my, oh, it was my just passion. Like I loved it. I would get in debates with old men about why, you know, we should keep certain players on my footy team and I could totally justify it or why we need to trade players. And I was like 12 years old, you know, being like, we need to get rid of, say Brendan Favola um you know Michelle's laughing because you know it's probably why yep and if you, if you look up who Brendan Favola is he used to play for Carlton you, you'll see why like, we needed to get rid of him and so like I this was my thing and so I finished school quite early and I did a TAFE course which was mum said that I, if I dropped out of school I had to do a TAFE course which I of course chose the football based one because it was my mum hated football and what better way to stick it up to her then go to a football-based course which I did that for three years and that involved a lot of coaching and events and organizing it was my 
Cert 3 and 4 in sport and rec, and then it was a diploma in sport development. In my final year of doing my diploma, uh, we had to do an, an event, which I, we, you know, we were given sort of these things that were done the year before and we could run them again and edit them. And I kind of said, oh, I want to do stuff with some small schools in the uh, Rangers, which is the area that I'm from, which is, you know, some bush. And, um, and we ran this six-week program in the Yarra Valley um, promoting football to primary schools. And from that, I got a job with my local football league, going out to schools, running clinics, hanging out with footballers, driving them around, you know, for player visits and just like, for me, living the life. Hmm. And in that position, because I had this massive connection with my, um, my local area, I was then asked to create a football league. Long story short, it ended up being three years worth of just grit and like not knowing what I'm doing and flying off the edge of my seat, trying to merge a, a country-based football league with a metropolitan business-based football league to create what was um, one of the, the first big junior girls football leagues in Victoria. And so that ended up being quite large, it ended up being 150 teams all up and until they the leagues broke apart because they were sustainable, which was cool. So they could run their own girls comp. And I'm just going to interject there. So at at that time, Emily, the AFLW was still a bit of a pop dream. So women, there was no professionalised women's football, Australian Australian rules football at that stage. And so this was at the, at that very beginning or before the beginning of the professionalisation um, of women's football, and of course the profile raising. So you would have, you wouldn't have had the, uh, you wouldn't have had the momentum that all of that that all of the hype, uh, and that the momentum that that hype created of the AFLW starting. Yeah, no, not at all. It, so that was the the three years that I worked there. The, when I finished that summer so I finished in September and that summer which was you know December January February that's when the first season of AFLW started so this is three three years of just grinding up against the wall you know going to having conversations with presidents that didn't believe in female football and didn't think it'd go anywhere and you know a lot of learnings a lot of oh there's so much that went on in that space to to the point where I I did I burnt out of football and I actually fell out of love of the game and that was really hard for me to digest and like my whole identity for my whole life has been football I'm just the football person and you know I couldn't go anywhere it really felt like I couldn't go anywhere in the whole eastern suburbs from Glen Waverley to about Warburton I couldn't go shopping without having a parent come up to me or someone you know a coach like that's just, that was me. I was, I was felt like I was a face of it. And my ego was just like skyrocketing. I was like, this is it. This is who I am. This is my career. And then I burnt out and I was like, I don't want to do this anymore. Who am I? (laughs) What a killer. (laughs) Was that, was that about the time when you got the start with why career advice or had that happened before? No. So that was, that was after. So I I had played football for a couple of seasons with a, a junior team that was, in my town but we played in a league that was really far away like we're talking hour hour and a half to get to games and because I was just so keen on being a football this is like when I was 15 16 when I whenever I was injured I'd get 
especially my ankles, I just play on them. And so I had to get two ankle reconstructions after I finished my job. I left my job. And so I was at this point of like, I was just so down and I was so depressed and I had no reason to get up out of bed. Like I could, I literally couldn't move. And, you know, I wasn't working in any space or environment that I enjoyed. My friend took me to a festival and and there was this festival where it was it was very like a contrite, like an environment that was just like, oh, it's just so like loving and, you know, it didn't feel very real to me. But there was this one workshop I went to on vulnerability and this is a woman called Emily Polo. Yeah, she, she ran this, this workshop on, on vulnerability and I was like, I looked at her and I looked at the way she facilitated and I was like, I want to be you. Like I want to oh. do what you're doing. And funny enough, I had a van and, um, and I added her on Facebook and she was actually looking for a vehicle to get her around regional Victoria because she didn't drive, like didn't have her own car. Yeah, so she was looking to, looking to get a vehicle and specifically a van. And I said, oh, I've got a van. I can't drive because I'm on crutches. So I gave her my van. Hadn't like This is literally a week after I had met her once. And then so she gave me all, like she then took me on to all of her workshops, not the ones in regional Vic, but the other ones she was doing in the city. And she ran, yeah, facilitated some very powerful workshops. And a lot of it was based on why, you know, finding that, that purpose. And I was like what is this life? Like you are just speaking to me. That was so cool. It was like three or four years ago. And then she also gave me some one-on-one coaching and we really dissected like a lot of, you know, what I do. And she was really interested in, in the girls football stuff as well. So we worked off that and I that's just stuck with me that one bit, which is if you understand why you're doing something, how you do it will come mm-hmm. and it will come in the weirdest way but if you can sell it and do it with conviction you're set you're really set and you can people see the passion and it's just the most exciting thing Mm. like I love working with people to get and when I work with people to get to that point where they're like this is what I want to do I'm like we're getting somewhere this is so great yeah yeah so Emily the other Emily performed a role a point in time role for you so she coached you as you've talked about and coaches uh have a very specific framework and and do um a lot of stuff as opposed to mentors who are it's a very for me i'm a a little bit of a purist mentoring is is a different approach the sharing of wisdom and you know, there's a whole story around mentor, you know, the name mentor uh, derives from a very old parable. Anyway, um, I digress. So I want to talk a little bit about strategic mentoring and what we call pie mentoring. And if you haven't read for listeners, if you haven't read Make the Most of Mentoring or any of our content around, me- around mentoring, pie mentoring in the short version is strategic mentoring. So have you received, well, number one, have you had a mentor? Have you had a mentor, a strategic mentor? Who was it? And how did you receive that strategic or that pie mentoring? Yeah. So I've got two that come to mind. So the first one was when I was working for the league. I, there was this woman um, named Jacinda and she actually nominated me for, for an award. She was worked at 
Yarra Rangers Council, which was the local council to the league that I was working in. And she saw that excitement and we call it potential that, that I sort of brought to life. And she was very passionate about gender equality in sport as well. And I didn't know it at the time. I was kind of like, oh, I don't really want to go to these meetings and I don't want to do this. And I just like, it's too much and it's too formal. But she dragged me along to like heaps of of meetings with council. So I worked on one of the first, well, actually it wasn't the first one. It was the second Pride Cup with Jason Ball. All right. Yeah. So out in Yarra Glen, uh, we had some female football junior female football games at halftime and so I got to sit in the meetings and this was before Pride Cup was a thing so I was you know as I look at Pride Cup now and I'm like oh I actually did a bit of bit of work with that yeah so I had to go to all these Pride Cup meetings and take minutes and like listen to how it was all official and and just be exposed to council the way council do things which is very different to the way that the football world does things and I reflect back to that and I think Man, I'm just so lucky that she showed me that because that is a world that I don't need to be in, but I need to understand. Because if I'm going to keep on doing things in the community or making changes, I need to understand what the process is. I need to understand how it gets done. I need to understand that in football, you know, we can get things done in two weeks. In council, it takes three months. So Mm, if you're lucky. (laughs) Yeah, totally. So that that's one person that really sticks out that like I said, didn't know at the time, but so appreciative of her. She's mentored me in, in many other ways. That's one of the key things that, that sticks out as well. And I think so that is a capital E uh, for the PIE, P-I-E, that mentoring, exposure to decision makers and decision making. And particularly because, and I certainly know that from our conversations that that she prepped you for the meetings, that you attended the meetings, you debriefed about the meetings. Uh, So you you were exposed to and were able to observe and then analyse how decisions were being made. And that is such an important part of of strategic mentoring. Shadowing's okay, but being in that room and then really understanding, in, in this case, how council makes decisions very, very differently, you know, strategically, long-term, mid to long-term decision-making versus tactical decision-making in the football environment. So that is a terrific example um, of, of pie mentoring. So good on her. Fantastic. What was the other one that you had? Uh, and another one is, it's a funny story. So I'm a Carlton supporter, which I mentioned just briefly. And I have this joke that I used, I have a copy of the 1995 grand final, which is the last one that Carlton won. And I could name every player, you know, I, I've watched that so many times as a kid. And my next mentor is David Parkin, who was the coach of Carlton's 1995 grand final. And that for me is just the coolest thing in the whole entire world. So <laughs> for, for all of our listeners who are in perhaps states in Australia that don't follow Australian rules or overseas. Number one Carlton Football Club is one of the original football clubs. It's one of the oldest football clubs in Australia. It's a professional uh, club now. Uh, I use the term loosely, Emily, but you know I don't support Carlton. Um, but it is a professional uh, professional club and they have, there's just a whole aura around Carlton. You know, they are, they have certainly been, 
a very dominant force on and off the field in Australian rules football for well over a century. Um, so it's a pretty, it's a, it's a very steeped in tradition organisation. So tell us more about David Parkham. And David is a legend of the game. So tell us about that. Yeah, so I don't want me to go into how I met him or as well. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So it, sh- it shows a bit of courage. <laughs> <laughs> For those that can see my face, it's like, it's, it's a, I think it's a great story. So after I'd figured out what my why was, I kind of went, I went back to uni and I wanted to study sport coaching. I was already studying sport coaching before I, while I was doing the, the football league. Uh, but I sort of swerved more towards studying sociology and my, my idea was like, how do I understand my, my athletes? You know, I want to know what's going on in their environment or the world around them outside of football because once I get that and once I know it, I can work with my athletes to a whole new deeper level. So there was this unit that I picked that was an elective, but it even didn't count towards my degree. But I was like, this is a unit that I want to study. And there was a couple of guest presenters. Funnily enough, the other one was actually an old teacher of mine that I knew quite well. So that was really nice. And, and, and he came in like second week and there was another, another person that came in about fifth week. And I, so, and it was, it was Parco and I knew that he was going to be a guest presenter, but I didn't know what week it was. And I actually rocked up to this class 10 minutes late with this in my skins, like in my um, <clears> like <throat> leggings kind of thing, like just not, you know, in the most, just in uni attire, you know? Yeah. And, um, and I walk in 10 minutes late and I'm like, oh, mouth open going, David Park and is just like standing there. And I was like gobsmacked because I just didn't know it was that week. And I was like, why am I not wearing nicer clothes? <laughs> and, um, and he actually got us, it was so funny, he got us to, before he even started speaking, to write down why we were in that class. Now, I'd specifically picked this, this unit or this course because it was straight, like straight sports sociology, sport coaching sociology. And, and I'd written down this answer in, in probably like 30 seconds because I knew exactly why because I had to get all of these like, to get into the course, I had to get like three ticks of approval. So I was like, I know why I'm here. And, um, and he went around the room and people, you know, asked people and they're like, oh, it's just part of my course. And I'm, you know, I'm interested in, you know, like understanding athletes. And, but it was like really just, just kind of like really casual. Like it was just part of the course sort of, sort of answers. And, and then I kind of, I was looking at him with this like smart ass look, just being like, come on, ask me, ask me why I'm here. Like just, and he did. And I was like, I really want to understand my athletes and I want to understand the world around them. And I want to know how I can make their lives better or something along the lines of that. And he was like taken aback by this like straightforward answer. Like, this is why I'm here. And we just, and then he just started chatting to me for like five minutes or so during class. He's like, is everyone listening to this conversation? You're going to learn something from this. <laughs> and I was like, oh this is cool (laughs) and um and throughout class he was talking a lot about leadership and for those that don't know Parker sort of revolutionized sport coaching in the football world so he was the first AFL coach to integrate a sports psychologist he was a dictator coach he yelled at his players he wasn't I think he's a nice person but I don't think I think he's just very straight with what he wanted 
Put it this way, I, I, I am very brave, but I wouldn't want to be on the end of a David Parkin spray. Oh, he was no pretty way. renowned for them. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. And he had like 13 or 14 senior fantastic footballers and they should have been winning so many flags in that era that he was coaching and he couldn't get them to win a flag. So they'd win all these games and they'd get to the grand final and they'd choke. And he couldn't get what, I couldn't understand why. And so he got this sports psychologist in and he pretty much said, you're a control freak, give the ownership back to your players. And, and then they ended up winning the flag the next year. That's long story short. And I was like hanging on every word going, what about this player and that player? And, you know, what about these guys? Because I remember I knew all these players. Like I knew exactly what he was talking about. So at the end of class, he comes up to me and he's like, you're so interesting. I'd like to take you out for lunch. And I was like, well, that's cool. I was going to ask you out for a coffee. So I'll take a free lunch. I'm a poor uni student. Um, And, yeah, from there we had a really great chat about a lot of things and, We've kept in contact and, you know, I still call, I could call him today and he would just be asking, you know, what's going on, you know, how are you going with your footy stuff? And he was my mentor for coaching. So I went to Germany last year and I coached the national women's team. And he, I think what I got from him was I got to learn a lot about the football world from a, from a male perspective, because I'm, I live in a, a bubble of, of female um, empowerment, which is fantastic and I love it, but I, I still need to understand what's going on in the world around me because in order to make the change, I need to, I need to get it first. Not that I don't have to agree with it, but I have to get it. And mm. he was able to tell me the ins and outs of football from his perspective, especially in that elite environment. And then I can what I did from that was then connected it to the culture of grassroots community football. And in Europe, football is still grassroots community. It's got some old school culture in there, which isn't very nice. So, you know, I've been marrying all of that up together to then figure out how do I make that change or how do I, you know, coach the way that I want to coach, especially being young and being a female as well. So he helped me, I'd say, from that performance side, if we're talking pie, so that was just so awesome to, to rack his brain and just figure out, well, what do I want to do and how do I want to do it? And then I think I disagree with a lot of his advice, <laughs> but I think he appreciates the, the thought process that I go through in the disagreements. I think yeah. I told him I was going to go to Germany and he's like, you don't stick to things, stay and finish your degree. And I was like, ha ha, I'm actually going to do an exchange and finish off my degree in Germany. <laughs> and I'm going to coach a football team and get back into coaching. So I, I agree. I think that is a, a perfect uh, rendition of P, you know, getting, and you're right, in a, no matter what environment, your workplace is, there will be the ways that success is measured. So how the performance of the organisation, how the performance of the business is measured, what what matters to those decision makers who are measuring the performance of the business and how you go about that. And certainly from, you know, taking advice, as you said, you don't, you don't always agree with David's advice. And, and, you know, a mentoring relationship is not sycophantic. It's not about you know, you have to agree and, and slavishly follow uh, everything. However, it gives you that perspective, those different perspectives, because we can find ourselves in echo chambers. You're right, Emily. And one of the really important things, particularly for someone like you who wants to keep enacting change in a particular 
culture in a particular area of, of society is to understand how it's managed right now and to then be able to speak the language of power. So the power, the language of power is the language of the business. How is the performance of the business managed? So I think it was very, very astute of you and very astute of you to, to then say, and how do I marry that up with, with the activities that I'm undertaking? One of the things that many women tell me and I've observed is they get conventional advice, get a mentor, which of course is just such incomplete advice. But when you think about, all right, uh, this is, I have the requirement for some mentoring. How do you go about it? Because I think there are, there are lots and lots and lots of women who still struggle with, how do I get a mentor? Who should I have? What's my criteria? What's the decision-making process? So how does that play out for you? Yeah, so it goes back to starts off with the why. Mm. Like, why am I doing what, I, what I'm doing? And once I've got the why, it's like, well, where do I want to go? How do I want to get to that why? How do I want to, how do I want to make that all work? And I'm so, you can call it strategic, I like to, I, I sit and I evaluate myself so often and I figure out, well, what do I want? How am I going to get there? And what do I need? And who can help me get what I need? Yes, that is strategic. <laughs> <laughs> I just, like, my world, I, I give a lot in, in what I do in my day-to-day life. Um, whether So I also teach at the moment as well. I keep, teach a couple of days a week and, and I give I give so much and and so I don't feel bad for taking. And I think that, so if I know that I want to be surrounded by some really strong females, like it took me a while to figure out what that was. And I was like, yeah, I need, I need that. I need to be supported. Like I even acknowledge I need to be supported more in what I do. So how am I going to get that? What does that look like? So yeah, I want to be surrounded by some really strong, cool female leaders that, you know, understand the the struggles that I'm going with in football, you know, because, because males don't, not all of them get it. Mm. Um, some of them do, but it's a rare breed. And I love those people dearly, but I, I need that support from elsewhere. When it comes to coaching, it's funny that the people, they also just come into my life, like people with very cool skill sets. I just, I latch onto them and I pick their brains and I go, well, what exactly does your game plan look like for football? How does that, what is your, what is your strategic like attacking and, and defensive structures and layers? Like, what does that mean? What does that look like? Tell me more about that. And I actually like by showing that interest in people, people want to share as well. Mm-hmm. I mean, some people, you know, they, they give too much. And, like you do have to be a bit particular about it, but it's, it's, but being clear and having that clarity of, of what it is that you're literally what you're after. Um, I think that that's the most important thing with, with mentors, um, like I said, I've just got people that I can call upon when I've got an issue with something. And I give, I give back to in that, you know, I, for some reason, I don't know what it is, but people enjoy talking to me. So they like the, the positivity and the enthusiasm. I think that's what it is. And the go-getter, I think that's, that inspires them. But I also get, when they're excited from me, I get excited from them because they're excited. It's just like this, this cool circle that, that goes on. So you have to think, think about like what, what can you give and then what exactly do you want? So there's a couple of things in that. So number one, as I said at the, at the start of our discussion, what most attracted me to saying yes 
because I get a lot of requests for meetings and stuff, pick your brains, conversations, which I need to be mindful of, of my time and where I have the most impact. But yours, I was compelled to speak with you because you were so absolutely clear about who you were, what you wanted and how that lined up with who I was and what I was doing. So that was number one. And then certainly when we met face-to-face, you're right, you are a very engaging, passionate person who, is abs- who has absolute clarity about where she wants to go but what she needs to do. So you're very clear about the work that you need to do, even if you're not clear about the nitty-gritty that goes in there. So I always say it's very, you're right, start with the why, where's the end game, what are the gaps, how do I fill the gaps and who can help me with that? So that's the, I appreciate the way that you've outlined that because that for me is the key. I want women to pay attention to the advice that they're getting because if their career conversation with their boss or their performance eval or or whatever's going on, if if part of their development is go get a mentor, I want them to come back with why. Why do you see that I need a mentor and for what and for how long? Because mentoring takes all sorts of different shapes and forms, but there are a lot of myths around it. And one of the myths that I want to bust is that you have to form this bosom buddy, symbiotic, chemistry-laden, 25-year relationship that's just going to be amazing. It won't always be like that. Sometimes it's short and sharp and mutually beneficial, which leads me to my next point. Your networking skills are very, very strong, particularly for someone of your age. And I don't wish to be ageist because I don't think age matters but you are strategic in your networking because you connect with the right others. You're very clear about your goal and you're very explicit about what you want, but you're also very generous in returning the favour. So you've got that generosity, that explicit reciprocity that we talk about in terms of strategic networking and that and strategic mentoring go very much hand in hand together. And it is a recipe for success, which you're, you're demonstrating very well. I am mindful of of time uh, and particularly your time. So despite the fact that I'm not going to be ageist, and I'm I'm not being ageist, but I will reflect on the fact that you are are teaching, uh, you're coaching in sport, both at a grassroots and an elite level, and you are also coaching and mentoring women. And this is all despite your, your younger than my age, age, let's call it that, why? Why Why are you doing that? I think you've probably explained that, but why would someone particularly, well, let's say, let's, let's, let's say why would a 40-year-old woman come to you to be coached? There's two questions. Number one, why? Actually, let me, let me go back. Number one, why do you want to coach and mentor women? Because I know that the mo- most inspiration I've gotten I have got received has been through strong female leaders and it's really hard to find them really 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 hard to find women that don't make decisions from fear from fear of not being enough from fear of not having enough money from fear of not being able to provide and I think that it's it's extremely powerful to share that go-getter attitude that we're all capable of doing so much more than what we've been perceived, yeah, perceived to to give. And at the end of the day, I love it. 
I get absolutely no greater joy than from seeing someone just click, just go, oh, I'm capable of doing that. I can actually go out and ask someone, even though it scares me shitless. But if they say no, who cares? You know, like, and I love to see the results of females creating their own pathway because I don't think it's getting done often enough and it's just the best thing it really is those limiting beliefs are just so profound in females and it it just takes the right person to just go man you're so capable not man Mm. person woman (laughs) anything (laughs) I'll call myself on that any day. You know, you are 100% capable of doing whatever it is that you want to do. So that's why I do it. And I think that even at that older age, you know, not that I was born 40 years ago, but I'm so lucky to be in, to have grown up in a slightly more progressive era. But I look back at like my mum, for example, and I can just see the way that society is just the way she grew up, you know, it didn't allow for her to be who she wants to be. And, and I think that, it, yeah, for the, for the older women that it's still possible. You, mm. still, you can still do it. You can still be strategic. Just figure out why, why you want to do it. What are you going to do and what are you afraid of? Mm. And unravel that fear and figure it out. And I alluded to to reverse mentoring when we first started talking. And as I said, my, my own experience with you is that I, there is not one conversation that I walk away from with you without having learned something, whether it's about myself or a a technical detail about football, which of course we're both involved in, or just helping to expand my worldview through your eyes. And so I do admire that. And and I think the fact that you're particularly focusing on women and addressing things that both, well, that Susan Mel and I know from a career that soars, which is Women are immersed in and surrounded from birth with gendered expectations. And to be able to have a peer, a colleague, another woman to be able to help us move beyond those expectations, which often place those limiting beliefs on us, is is extraordinary. I also think it's a great example that mentoring can occur at any age, both sides of the mentoring relationship. And I hark back to my my many, many years in being a leader in contact centres, which are predominantly, well, well populated with young people, which I very much enjoy because one of the things that I enjoyed was that if I'm open enough to listening and hearing, really hearing what they've got to say, I'm getting perspectives from a different part of society that, that is useful. And I've got to say, when it comes down to the strategy, the biggest consumer group ever in the history of the world are millennials. They have the most disposable income that they are ever going to have. They are already nearly 40% of consumers across the world, which is significant. And as a business leader, we've got to pay attention to those perspectives. So reverse mentoring or mentoring at any age is, uh, is really, really useful. I think you're a great proponent of that, of that M. Hey, um, in, in wrapping up, advice time. What's the best piece of leadership advice that you can provide to our emerging leaders community? Oh, yeah. Be real. Be authentic. Figure out what that means to you and be it, live it. Because for me, 
to lead is to just be true to yourself, like who you are and what you believe in and what you value and what's important to. And once you figure out what that is, what especially the values, and you can be grateful for life, you can do anything and you will be the best leader if you understand and you know that. It's so hard to lead from a an empty cup or a cup that's not yours. So if you're trying to be like someone else, you're actually not going to be a great leader because you're not being you. So that's that's my 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 piece of advice. How very cool. I do love it's very hard to lead from an empty cup and we have talked about the empty cup routine, but how cool is that? Really hard to lead from a cup that's not yours. That's that's great. And so in the context of our leadership definition, personal greatness. So step into your personal greatness, greatness, which is our, which are your strengths, your values, your character, your attributes, your worldview, all of those things that you've talked about. But of course, I think I can wrap this session up with being um, privileged to number one, know you and, and have uh, been able to know you for, for this period of time, but also to hear that wisdom around start with why. What is your why? And then set your strategy based on that why. And you have such a strategic, intentional, deliberate way of of living and leading uh, in your life uh, and in your career that I know that our members are going to glean lots of pearls of wisdom and little, what does Bronwyn call them? Knowledge bombs from you. So that's, that's really cool. And thanks so much for being with us today. I hope that the members of our community engage with you more. You have someone, a woman, well worth having a conversation with about leadership. So thanks, Emily. Really appreciate it. Thank you so much. Absolutely my pleasure to sit and have a chat with you as always. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Lead to Soar. We sincerely appreciate your honest, positive reviews. You can leave questions at leadtosoar.com for Michelle and Mel to answer on future episodes. Until next time, we hope you'll use what you've learned here and lead to soar.